today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. to be this isolation where you pull back, you separate, and you determine to live differently unto the Lord. Now, I will tell you that when you decide to do this, it'll be very lonely. And because some people don't want to embrace the loneliness, they don't make it past stage one. Like, I, you know, I, don't, I don't like being separate. I don't, I don't like doing all this stuff, and, and I don't like to be lonely. You need to embrace the loneliness. And it'll be during that time that Jesus will become your very best friend. Because he will never leave you nor forsake you. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. When you decide to get saved and follow Jesus, you can't just add him onto your current life and continue on without changing anything. Chances are there are certain activities you need to quit and certain friends you need to take a break from. Yes, this is a very difficult thing to do because, as Pastor Gary points out in today's message, it seems very lonely at first. Don't get discouraged. Like the Israelites who needed to drive away pagan influences, we need to isolate ourselves for a bit. But you'll see how Jesus will draw near. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message titled, Conquer or Be Conquered. Verse 31, nor did Asher drive out those living in Akko or Sidon or Elab or Azib or Helba or Aphek or Rehob. And because of this, the people of Asher lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. Neither did Naphtali drive out those living in Beth Shemesh or Beth Anath. But the Naphtalites, too, lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land, and those living in Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became forced laborers for them. The Amorites, these are the pagan people, confined the Danites, those are the Hebrews, the tribe of Dan, to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the plain. Isn't that incredible? The people of God were forced to stay up in the hill country because the pagan people were keeping them at bay. And then it says, verse 35, and the Amorites were determined also to hold out in Mount Teres, Ajalon, and Shalbim, but when the power of the house of Joseph increased, they too were pressed into forced labor. The boundary of the Amorites was from Scorpion Pass to Selah and beyond. Now, please notice this. You get the picture. Tribe after tribe after tribe, the people of God did not completely drive out the pagan influence. And it would only be a matter of time before the pagan influence then would come back to bite them. This is the reason why they end up in this cycle. They don't effectively deal with the ungodly influence, so they become subject to it. Let me ask you a question. Does this cycle somewhat describe your own life? Where you serve the Lord, and then you slip into sin, and then you feel oppressed and depressed, and you crawl out to God, and God is gracious, and He delivers you and forgives you, and then you serve the Lord. 
And you slip back into sin, and then you feel oppressed and depressed, and then you call out to God, and he delivers you, and then you serve the Lord. And on and on the cycle goes. Because if this cycle describes your life, it could be that perhaps you have also not driven out the ungodly influences that you have allowed to remain in your life. Now, when the people do this, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appears to the people of Israel to confront them, to chastise them. And in chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. Notice, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said... Now, note, the angel of the Lord. Whenever you see the direct article V in front of angel of the Lord, it is often a reference to an appearance of Jesus Christ, actually. Not that he's an angel. He's not an angel. But often in the Old Testament, that term is used to differentiate Jesus of the Old Testament from when Jesus came to be born of a virgin and when God took on flesh and entered our world. Remember, Jesus has always existed being co-eternal and co-equal with God. In the beginning, John said, was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And there are different times in the Old Testament when Jesus assumed uh, human appearance for specific purposes. We read about it back in Joshua when Joshua was ready to cross over the Jordan River and he sees a man approaching him with a drawn sword. Joshua says, who are you for? Are you for us or for our enemies? And the man says, neither, but as the captain of the host of Israel, I have now come. And he speaks in the first person. He tells Joshua to take off his sandals, just like God said to Moses in the burning bush. It was the Lord who appeared to Joshua. We see the same thing here. The Lord now appears to the people of Israel. And how do we know this is the Lord and not just some angel? Because he begins now to speak in first person using terms of divinity. Notice, this is what he said. I brought you up out of Egypt. Well, that was the Lord. And led you into the land that I swore to give to your forefathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land. But you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? Now therefore I tell you that I will not drive them out before you. They will be thorns in your sides. And their gods will be a snare to you. They will be thorns in your sides. And their gods will be a snare to you. In other words, you're going to have trouble now. Because you weren't willing to deal with the ungodly influence in the land. Moses had said the same thing previously. In Numbers 33, verse 55, Moses said to them, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you live. And basically what Moses meant and what the Lord means here in Judges 2 is this. And it's basically what I've entitled today's teaching. Conquer or be conquered. Conquer or be conquered. The problem that the Israelites had was that they were unwilling to drive out the ungodly influence and to be separate as a people unto the Lord. We're going to be separate unto God. God's brought us into this spacious land, given us houses we didn't build, crops we didn't plant, wells we didn't dig. God's been gracious to us. He's given all this to us. God is gracious and wonderful. But what he wants us to deal with is the potential for any of us to fall into paganism or idolatry and for our hearts to be stolen away from the true and living God. And they were unwilling 
The reason they didn't effectively and consistently live for the glory of God is because they were unwilling to drive out those influences that they had allowed to remain to compromise them. And they were not willing to be separate unto the Lord. I got to tell you, as I got to this place in my preparation for today's study, I felt early on in the week like I was going to move in a different direction. And just late in the week, I felt like the Lord was using that phrase to kind of rearrange. And he is certainly allowed to do that whenever he wants to rearrange the direction I go in the teaching. And so I'm going to move in a direction I hadn't planned on going. And to be honest with you, this is going to be somewhat elementary to some of you. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. And you're very familiar with this. Others of you are here today. You don't pretend to be a Christian. Some of your friends dragged you here. And you're kind of curious about what all this means. And others of you are kind of newbies. You're new believers. And you're still trying to get your footing and understand what all this means. And, you know, where do you begin with all of this? So some of this might sound a little elementary to some of you. But this is very, very vital to understand. So I'm going to transition kind of with this Old Testament theme into a New Testament principle here. Because, listen, the Israelites in this story refused to get rid of the ungodly stuff and to be separate unto the Lord. There are three stages to a Christian's life. And everybody has to understand this because if you don't get this, you will never effectively live out your faith. Three stages to a Christian's life. And I made it really simple. Kind of has a rhyming effect because that's just the kind of guy I am. I need things to be simple to, to memorize. Three stages of a Christian's life. Isolation, insulation, and then infiltration. Isolation, insulation, and infiltration. You see, the first thing that's necessary to understand is when you come into a relationship with Christ, you have to deal with some of the ungodly stuff. You have to deal with some of the ungodly influences that you've allowed into your life just because that's what ungodly people do before they know Christ. And you have to make a conscious decision that you will separate yourself, you will isolate yourself for a time in order to kind of recalibrate. This is what the Israelites weren't doing right. They missed the first step in Old Testament terms. But now just kind of translating this in New Testament terms, you come into relationship with Christ it is important for every new believer to get this. You have to take a time to kind of pull back. You have to withdraw. You have to reevaluate. What does that mean? That means you don't hang with some of the friends you used to hang with. That means you don't go to some of the places you used to go. That means you don't do some of the things you used to do or say some of the things you used to say. There has to be a time of separateness, of coming out, of being distinct, of kind of recalibrating your life and your heart and reevaluating everything. Because when you get saved, it should radically transform everything about perspective and decisions and life choices. But sadly, too many people just decide when I get saved, I'm just going to kind of fold Jesus onto what I'm already doing. And I'm heading down a path. And he's kind of coming along as if you picked up a hitchhiker. Like you're bound to determine, you're on a journey, you're on a path, and you're going to continue to go that way. And you came into this fanciful thing about knowing Jesus, and you've just kind of put him in the backseat. He was a hitchhiker, and on you go, still in the same direction you're on. No, the reality is, it needs to be pulling off the side of the road, and you get out from the driver's seat, and you go sit in the back seat, and Jesus is now the driver. Because you have to recognize that coming into relationship with Christ means that you realize you were on a reckless path 
that ultimately leads to destruction. It leads to hell. And Jesus came and rescued you and took you onto a new path entirely that ultimately leads to heaven and eternal life. And in order to recognize the difference between those two paths, the one that you were on before you come to faith in Christ and the one you are now on in Christ, requires a time of isolation. You have to separate yourself. You have to just kind of draw back a little bit and recognize, I can't do some of the same stuff I used to do. I can't go to some of the places I used to go. Because why? Because there's some ungodly influences there. And I have to be willing to separate myself from some of the ungodly influences if I'm going to live a life that is devoted with Jesus being my Lord. He's Savior and Lord. It's not one or the other. Now, lest you think, wait a minute, this isolation, separation thing sounds kind of unbiblical. I thought we were to go into all the world. That's stage three. But you first have to deal with the first one, which is isolation, to be separate. And here's the verse. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul's going to ask five questions to prompt us into understanding why it's important to pull back, separate, isolate just a little bit for a season. This is what he says. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? That's the first question. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, which is a demon? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Now, from time to time, people will bring this verse to me, and they will say, how come we're called to be separate? I thought we were called to go out into the world. Yeah, because what he's talking about here is when you first get saved, there needs to be a recalibrating of your life and your direction and your purpose and everything. And there needs to be this isolation where you pull back, you separate, and you determine to live differently unto the Lord. Now, I will tell you that when you decide to do this, it'll be very lonely. And because some people don't want to embrace the loneliness, they don't make it past stage one. Like, I, you know, I, don't, I don't like being separate. I don't, I don't like doing all this stuff. And, and I don't like to be lonely. You need to embrace the loneliness. And it'll be during that time that Jesus will become your very best friend. Because he will never leave you nor forsake you. When I got saved, I was a sophomore in high school. And kids who are sophomore in high school like to do what kids who are sophomore in high school do. And when I got saved, I had to make a decision. i got to separate myself. I've been hanging out with the wrong people. I can't be doing some of the same things I do. And I remember feeling very, very lonely for a season. And there's a time that we have to embrace that loneliness and realize that this is that time of separation so that the Lord can begin to do a new work in our hearts so we can begin to realize what living for Him is all about. But the other thing I need to warn you about is that in addition to it being a time of loneliness, it will also be a time... And you will get mocked. Some of your friends will say to you, what's wrong with you? Are you too good to hang out with us anymore? You're not doing some of the same. You know, we were all buddies and we were doing this and we were all girlfriends and we were doing this and how come you're not doing this stuff with us anymore? Are you too good to be with us? And you're just going to have to gently and honestly say to them, no, 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 I'm not too good. I'm too weak. I'm too weak. I've given my life to Christ now and I have to understand what that means and I have to kind of find a whole new perspective and I just can't do some of the same things I used to do i got to find my way right now. I need to separate myself unto the Lord. And they may not understand. In fact, Peter, 
In 1 Peter chapter 4, he says this, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it, meaning your friends who you used to do all that stuff with, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. It will happen. You decide you're going to isolate, separate, find out who you are in Christ now. People aren't going to like it. And there'll be times of loneliness. But then it should lead to the second stage. Because here's the key. Don't stay isolated. Okay? Don't stay isolated. Don't just kind of withdraw into, you know, a hole in the ground and feel like, well, this is what Christianity is all about now. I'm just supposed to be separate, have no contact with those little stinking sinning heathens. No, that's not what it's about at all. But there's a time for that. There's a time to separate. But the second phase here is a time of insulation. Now, by insulation, I mean it's when you become strengthened in your faith. You grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You grow in the understanding of the word. And you become discipled. And you become stronger. And you grow in your faith. It's being insulated. Insulated against the world so that you can influence the world instead of the world influencing you. Now, this is partly why I have a passion to teach through God's word. Because I feel it is my responsibility in part... To help equip you, to insulate you in the real world. That's what Ephesians 4.11 talks about. It was Christ who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip or to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. But by the way, it is not entirely my responsibility for that. It is also yours individually. And Jude verse 20 says, build yourselves up. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. So you and I have a responsibility to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be insulated. Why? Think of it this way. If you were to go outside and it feels cold, but let's say it was 10 degrees today and you went without a coat, it would just be a matter of time before the elements would subdue you. You stay in 10-degree weather long enough, hypothermia sets in, and eventually you can die from it. And so if you go out without a coat on or gloves, it's 10 degrees, it's only a matter of time before you will be subdued by the elements. The idea of growing in Christ is like a coat you put on, you're insulated in Christ. Now you go out into the elements, and the elements don't have the same devastating effect upon you because you now are going to change and influence the world instead of the world changing and influencing you. That's part of being insulated, is being strengthened in our faith and built up and discipled in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which then leads us to the third and the final stage, which is infiltration. It is infiltrating our world, going out into the world, being salt and light. And that's exactly what Jesus said. In Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You and I are to be the salt of the earth. What are the principles and purposes of salt? To preserve, to purify, and to penetrate. Because when you flavor the world, you penetrate the world, you flavor it just like salt does. We have to go out into the world and to flavor, to penetrate the world. Also to preserve the world. Salt cures meat. And so if meat is cured with salt, it's because it has a purifying effect. When we go out into the world, we're supposed to have a purifying effect. And salt serves like an antiseptic. You 
put salt on a wound and it helps to bring healing. We are to go out into the world and to promote Jesus Christ and the good news of Jesus that it might have a healing effect in our community. Jesus said, you are the salt of the world. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you wait, you tarry in Jerusalem. You wait for the gift of my Holy Spirit. And then when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus has a very go mentality. Mark chapter 16, the end of the Gospel of Mark says, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. But you cannot effectively infiltrate your world unless you are first isolated, you draw back, you understand what all this means, and then you become insulated, become then prepared to go out into the world and make the influence. Now listen, what happened here with Israel is they missed stage one. They weren't willing to deal with the ungodly influences and to be separate unto the Lord. And thus they got in this cycle of sin. But what happened here is that when the angel of the Lord, when Jesus then confronts them about this, notice their reaction. Chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Verse 4, when the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called that place Bokim. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. Bokim in Hebrew means weepers. That place got named after the emotion of the moment when they were all gripped by the sin that they had committed. Now you read some Bible scholars and commentaries and they say, well, maybe they were crying, but they didn't really mean it because they still repeated all this cycle of sin. And that might be true, but I got to tell you something. God still wants people to just simply be broken over sin, not for the sake of just crying for crying's sake, but to seriously be broken over sin. And what they do here is they weep, and then it says, then they offered sacrifices, because in the Old Testament terms, offering sacrifices was appealing to the mercy of the Lord. Now for us, Jesus Christ has died on a cross. He has offered us a greater sacrifice, a more permanent sacrifice, and the mercy that we have at our disposal through Jesus immeasurable immeasurable and what god still wants of us listen psalm says a broken and contrite heart oh god you will not despise god still loves a broken heart and he wants us to be broken over our sin if you look at your life and you can recognize i've allowed some ungodly stuff to creep into my life i've allowed some compromise there's some if you will kind of pagan influence i've allowed this stuff into my life then I would encourage you to respond with the same brokenness as the people of God did in this day and cry out to the mercy of the Lord. And He will forgive and He will restore and He will heal. But we're going to have to uproot it with a fierce determination. Because if you remember when we read earlier in chapter 1, verse 27, it said the Canaanites were determined to live in the land. And in verse 35, it says the Amorites also held out ungodly stuff will not go willingly from our lives folks you and I will have to be determined that we will drive stuff out so that we can live a life that gives glory and honor to Jesus Christ Pastor Gary has been teaching through the book of Judges, sharing the incredible lengths God goes to in order to rescue his people 
and teach them about himself. Sometimes God needs to use extreme circumstances to get our attention and turn us back to the path he knows is best for us. We pray you've been encouraged as you listen today and that God is working in your heart even now. If you'd like to talk with someone about what following God means for you, or if you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. This message today has been brought to you from Pastor Gary and Cornerstone Connection a ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. You are most welcome to come see us in person if you're in the area. We meet every Sunday and Wednesday as a group, and we'd love to have you be part of our services. Head to cornerstoneconnection.cc to find out more about the church and find directions and service times. While you're at our website, be sure to check out our archive of previous messages and download our mobile app to take them with you on the go. Thanks for tuning in today, and be sure to join us again for another edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know.